We are going to continue into our study of Colossians a little bit here. And as always, especially those of you in the Bible study methods class, we're going to use some of the things we're learning in there today. Uh, We're specifically going to be in this passage here, chapter 2, 9 through 15, to be able to grasp the teaching of this particular passage we need to look at the context, the stuff that's come before it, so that we have a better understanding about what we're reading right here. And so what I'd like for you to look with me is in chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, I'd like for you to see a few things and just have them as context, understanding what they're said. Chapter, one, chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I've struggled for you even though I've never met you. First of all, this is Paul writing to the church there at Colossians. And he says, and if you read in through there, struggled for them, he says, that their hearts, and he says that their hearts would be encouraged, he says. He says there in chapter 2 also, he goes further and he says, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in true knowledge of God's mystery that is Christ himself. Did you catch that? So he's never met them, but he's praying that they would have and what I want to emphasize is that last passion, that last portion there, full assurance of understanding. He wants them to have full assurance of understanding, which is the result of a true knowledge of God. Now, the past two weeks, we've really kind of been talking about what a true knowledge of God, what a true knowledge of truth looks like, right? We talked about, you know, how do you measure truth? How do you know what is truth? Last week, we talked about, like, who is Christ? Because it is, it is you know, centuries-old question. And so he says that you have full assurance when you know that, when you understand that. Go a little bit further there. In verse 3, he says that in Christ is all the treasures, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I, I love when you pick up on the, the mental pictures that he's trying to paint for you. So he says that in the wisdom and knowledge of Christ, there is treasures. I just love that picture. He goes on further. And he says in verse 5, he says that he's praying and he's working for And he says, for even though I am absent in body, nevertheless, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see good discipline and stability of faith. Stability of faith. Verse 7, he speaks about being firmly rooted and built up. He talks about being established in verse 7. Verse 5, he says that I am, I'm with you in spirit. I'm sorry. Yeah, in verse 5, he says, I'm with you in spirit, and I'm rejoicing because of that stability that you have. And then in verse 9, he says, and let's start right there. In verse 9, he says, for in him, he's speaking about Christ, he says, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. In him, you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority, circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him and in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees which against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, Having nailed it to the cross, when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed, having triumphed over them through him. Let's pray, all right? Father, this morning we thank you very much, very much, for what you're doing in our life, for what you're doing in our church, for the way that you love us, and you are so incredibly patient with us. 
This morning, Father, um, I am so grateful that your word is active and alive and that you will do work in the individual hearts and minds of every man, woman, and child in this room today as long as we attune ourselves to you. Father, this morning, um, may the ink on this paper come alive in our hearts and our minds. Lord, I pray that you would direct my words, that you would help me to set aside anything that would draw attention to me or to this church, for you are the head of this church and you are what we make much of. And Father, in my weaknesses, may you rule supreme and overcome them for your glory and for your good, and especially for the good of our church. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so if you are like me, often seeing what the Bible is saying is, is really helpful. So I, I, in my study of, of, the, of this passage, I took it this week and I put it on a sheet of paper, and then I just started marking it up. And I wanted to look, is this not right, Santo? Did you learn this week in class? Say amen, brother. Say it like you mean it, brother. <laughs> Too much work. Never mind. All right. But, you know, I began to just mark it up. I wanted to know. I needed to see it for myself, you know. And I began to mark it up, and I found that in the passage, there is an awful lot of stuff that's a, what God has done and what we benefit because of what he's done. And so today, I just want to take you through my own personal study of this passage, and I want us to see that for ourselves as we go through here. So first of all, there's a lot being said about Christ in this passage. First of all, in verse 9, it's talking about that he is the fullness of deity, that all the fullness of deity rests upon him. In verse 10, he says, you are complete. And he says that he is the head over all rule and authority. In verse 12, he says that we are buried with him and raised with him. Verse 13, he says, you were made alive and you are forgiven. Verse 14, he says that the debt that you owed was canceled. Matter of fact, he says it was taken out of the way. It was nailed to the cross. And then in verse 15, he says, he disarmed rulers and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. There's, you know, depending on how you count them, there's 12, 13, 14 different things you can point to in this passage about what Christ has done. But there's another list that kind of overlaps as I was studying it. In verse 9, it speaks about in him. And if you were to go through and you were to start marking up all the in hymns, this passage has a lot of stuff about in him. So if you look with me, in verse 9, it says, in him all the fullness of deity dwells. In verse 10, it says, in him, you have been made complete. In verse 11, it says that you were circumcised in him or with him. In other words, that old, old fleshly ways about your heart have been cut away to reveal life. Verse 11, I mean, verse 12 and 5, you've got to go backwards a little bit, but it's still another in him. It says, in him, we have stability in our faith in Christ. In verse 6, it says to walk in him. And then verse 7, it says, being built up in him. And then there's also these other things that are talking about with him. We were buried with him. We were raised with him. And we were made alive with him. One of the things to kind of realize in this passage is that 
There's not very much us in it, is there? Matter of fact, where do you see us in the passage? Look in the passage, read through it. You might see us in there two, maybe three times. It all depends on your interpretation, perhaps. Where do you see us in the passage? Look at it. No, I'm not with him, but there's other places. Apart from him, where do you see us? Sinful nature. What else do you see? I hear mumbling over here. Are you talking among yourselves? Are you cheating? What are you, what's happening over here? Smarts, are you guys talking among yourselves? Okay. Excuse me? Ruled by the flesh. Very good. What else? Say it again. We're made full. I'm looking for the stuff apart from him. Where are we apart from him? Terry? He forgave us. Good. What else? We had, we, had, we had a debt against us. What else? Condemned. Exactly. What else? Dead. Dead. Apart from him, there's not very much nice stuff about us in this passage. Paul does this. Peter does this. I love this about these guys. They kind of, in some ways, I don't know who Paul's grammar teacher was, but Betty Jo and Rosanna would never let me write sentences like he writes. Although they tell me I still write bad sentences without them. But he writes sentences that are so long that I'm thinking like, he would flunk. But what he does do sometimes that really is helpful is he often writes in such a way that you begin to see the positive and the negative. You begin to see the things you should do and the things you shouldn't do. You begin to see the things that he is growing you toward and the things he is growing you from. And in this passage, there is a little bit of that as well. And so in this passage, we see here, we see here that that the only thing you see about us is that we had an uncircumcised heart. In other words, a heart that was set on doing our ways. A, a heart that was crusted over and hard and was unwilling to obey, to listen, to be taught. You see in here that we were dead in verse 12. You see in, in, in verse 13, we were dead in our transgressions of our uncircumcised flesh. You see in here that we, had, we, we were unforgiven apart from him. You see in here, like you said, we had a debt that existed against us. And then you see in him, with him, you see us very differently, don't you? In him and with him, there's an entirely different scenario for us as believers. In him and with him, there are several things. For instance, in him and with him, our former manner of life has ended. It's over. It's over. Look in 12 in um, 12, verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the working God who raised you from the dead. So that old way is dead. It was buried and it's gone. And then the latter part of that verse 12, he says, you've been raised to spiritual life. We have that in him, with him. We've been given new life in verse 13. Our transgressions have been forgiven in verse 13. Our debt has been paid It's been moved out of the way. You know, in the context of relationships, we've talked about this at different times. And that's that as as believers, we can never lose our salvation. 
But often, the stuff that we do gets in the way of that relationship. He's speaking here, and he says that that, that, that debt you owed of sin was in the way. And you could never have a relationship with God ever with that debt being owed. You know, earlier this year, you know, I talked to you and I shared with you about how I had a debt with New Brunswick up in New Jersey, you remember? And with the court up there and $100 worth of a traffic thing that they wanted, me and them were not getting along. They had a problem with me. And they didn't want to see me unless I had $100 I was behind their bars. They had a problem with me. I had to pay that debt so that I could be okay with them. Paul says here that you, we, were dead in our sins. That we had a debt that we owed. That we could not be in relationship with him apart from everything that Christ had done. Do you notice anywhere in here? Now, I'm, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going out on a limb. I might get myself in deep trouble here. Let's see here. Let's find this verse. I don't believe in this verse there is anything that we do. Is there? I believe what happens in this verse is he shows us that we were dead, separate, in debt, and all this stuff. And then he says, but in Christ, you're not anymore. In Christ, your debt has been paid. In Christ, you are alive. In Christ, you're, you, know, you have life. Nowhere in this passage does it say that we did anything to gain that. Because what happens is this, is that when we step over that line into salvation, we don't step over that line into salvation because of what we did, We step over that line of salvation because of what Christ did. And so in everything that he did, we we benefit from what he did. In everything that he did, we come along with it. Matter of fact, in everything that we did, we all of a sudden become complete. You you see, because in in Genesis, everything was good, was it not? He made us. And when he was done, when he made everything, he said, it's good. This has turned out really well. It's kind of like, I mean, was he surprised? You know, he's God. But he, he finished creation, and he says, this is good. And he took that man and that woman, and he put them in the garden. And he says, okay, all this is yours to take care of. There's only one thing you can't do. Don't do that. Okay, we good. We understand each other. We're good, right? Right, great. A few days later, a few months later, I don't know how long it takes. If it was left up to me, it would only be a few hours later. But there's a problem, Houston. And the passage goes something along the line. Uh, in my mind, when I think about it, you know, I've, I'm a visual learner. That's why I'm always using rulers and everything with you guys. In my mind, I envision that one morning, maybe like one of the mornings we had this week, when it was just beautiful outside, and the Lord walked into the garden, and where He usually found Adam and Eve, they weren't there that day. And he went further into the garden. And he looked for where they might have been. And 
They weren't there that day. And he calls out and he says, Adam, Eve. And he finds them. And they're dressed differently today. A new wardrobe of fig leaves. And he says, there's something different about you. The difference in them was not the new wardrobe of fig leaves. The difference in them that was the day before they were complete. They were complete. They had been created in perfection. And they were complete. But sometime between the last time the Lord had been with them and the next time he was with them, something changed. And that something changed was man, and I'm not even picking on man or woman, I'm just saying mankind said, I have an opinion here. I have a say here. I want that. It doesn't matter whether it's an apple, an orange, a pear, or persimmon. What matters is that man chose his will over the will of God. And in that moment, man's completion became incomplete. In that moment, everything that was inside of man that had been right and holy and, 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 and correct, everything inside of him worked. His heart was in tune with God. He was in, he was in perfect relationship with his spouse, Lord, have mercy, you know. That was a big deal. And in that moment, what was inside became broken and incomplete. Because man said, I want to do it this way. And man rose up, and you remember last week we talked about this. Man rose up and said, I want to be sovereign, I want to be in charge. We both can't be in charge. Step aside and let me in. And God now had children who were broken. Children who are no longer complete. But even in that moment, he says to them, I have a plan to redeem you. I have a plan to make you complete. I have a plan to raise you from the dead. See what happened in that moment? Not only did they become incomplete and broken, but before, that night before, they'd been spiritually alive. They were in tune with Christ, with God in perfect harmony, but the next morning they were spiritually dead when they had reached out and exercised their will against God's will. And that's why he says, before you were dead and I raised you from the dead, he says. Before you were in your transgressions and I paid for those transgressions. Before your heart was hardened and sin ruled you. And I've cut that away so that it doesn't have to any longer. He says, everything that happened in Genesis 3 has been undone. Everything that happened there, you have now have the opportunity to be complete, to have those sins paid for. And nowhere in this passage does it say we did anything to earn that, to gain that, to become that way. It says, in him, with him, in him, with him, in him, in Jesus. That's how you get that way. That's how you get that way.
It's really, really, really interesting that the passage says a few things here I want to just really highlight. He he says here, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Now, I mean, we won't delve into all the finer points of circumcision, but we kind of have a sense of where we're at, right? You know? And so he says, And for this man... He knew that on the eighth day of that male's, that, that baby boy's birth, on the eighth day that child would be circumcised because that was God's covenant with the Jews that every male had to be circumcised. It was like, this is my mark, me and you. I don't understand it either. Don't ask me, all right? But so anyway, that's the mark. That's our covenant together. It was done with a human hand. And then he says, on the physical body. But then he says, on your spiritual heart, I have now circumcised it without hands, spiritually. That sign was a physical sign between me and you. This circumcision is now one that has changed things. It is spiritual. So he says, that's been taken care of. I did that with my own hands, with my spirit. He says, you were buried in baptism. That baptism, that didn't do anything other than symbolize that they, had, they, were, they were, went down, they were buried just like Christ did. It came up into new life. It was a symbol of like being dead and being brought out and being alive, just like he was, three days in the tomb, and then being brought back to life after three days. Baptism is the significance of that. It says that I too was dead, but now I live again. He says, that happened in me, in him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions transgressions and the uncircumcision of your heart, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions and canceled out our certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us. Let's talk about that real quick. So what he's saying here is that he said, Santa, I'd just like to talk to you for a few moments. I have a decree of debt against you. There's a few things you've done wrong in this life. Actually, there's a, there's a lot of things you did wrong in this life, Santo. Um, let me see. And uh, what that means is me and you are not okay. Because I am perfectly holy, and this list doesn't present you that way, buddy. Are we smiling? Yeah. And he says, so you have a certificate of debt. You owe for all these sins. Do you have a way of paying for that, Santo? I didn't think so. Let me see then. So then what that means is that you have to suffer the punishment for that. That punishment is that continued spiritual death, a part that is separation between me and you, God and man, because you are unholy and I'm holy. But let me tell you something, Santo. I love you so deeply, so immensely, that from the beginning of time, I planned a way for me and you to be in relationship. I planned a way for you to be counted as holy. I planned a way for your sins to be paid for by someone else. Because I loved you so much that I sent my one and only son into the world so that you would believe in him and have your sins forgiven and not perish. That's 316 to pick up on that. That's what I've done for you, Santo. And so what happens when it says here in faith, Santo believes in faith that God did that for him. 
What that means is that Santos come to this understanding that there's nothing he could ever do to pay for his sins. You've heard me say it a hundred times, and by now I'm sure if you're like going, oh man, he's walking up to the line. <laughs> We're going to do the line. That on this side of this line right here in the middle right here, Santo was absolutely dead in his sins. He could not have a relationship with God. He could talk about it. He could write about it. He could do a lot of things about God, but he was never in a relationship with God because those sins kept him separated from God. He had a decree written against him that made him that which made that was hostile. And there was nothing he could do about it. He had a ticket he could not pay for. And he came to the understanding that he'd never be able to pay for it. But that Jesus Christ came into this world, died on a cross, and was raised three days later, not because he wanted to, not because he had to, but because he chose to out of great and deep and abiding love for Santo. He came and paid that debt so that Santo could be in relationship with him and his father. And the way that we take that and the way that this decree gets paid for and the way that all this happens is it happens in such a way that we say, I can't pay that debt. I know I can't pay that debt. I'm exhausted from trying. And so I believe, not because I've seen it happen, not because someone showed it to me, but I believe that Christ died and paid my penalty for me. By faith, I believe that. And in that moment, in that thing that is so simple that many people say it can't be true, simply by believing that Christ did that and placing their faith in what he did over what we try and do, Santo went from this side of the line to this side of the line. Not because of anything he did, but because of what Christ did for him. And in that moment, and in that moment, that decree, that decree was gone. Matter of fact, though, it wasn't ripped apart. This verse says that that decree was taken to the cross, was nailed to the cross, and when Jesus died, all the sins, because on the top of the cross, typically in the Roman world, what he had done wrong was put on the top of that cross. And so, you know, treason, adultery, whatever it may be, it was put on the top of the cross. The criminal was put there and left to die. And on Jesus' cross, atop of that cross, it said, Santo's sin. It said Todd's sin. It said Jack's sin. It said Robert's sin. It was all put there on the top of that cross. And then he died. And when you look at it, what the charges were, the charges were not anything he had ever done. The charges were those who stand against you and I. And in that, in that death, And the belief that he did that for us, those charges are canceled. This passage says they were taken out of the way. And we were made alive in him. We were made complete in him. And there's nothing lacking. Because in him was all, all of deity was compacted in him. And so that means that when we are in him, we have all of deity at our disposal. This passage now comes into this place. Let me read it to you from the Living Bible. 
For in Christ there is all of God in a human body. So you have everything when you have Christ. And you are filled with God through your union with Christ. He is the highest ruler with authority over every other power. And when you came to Christ, he set you free from your evil desires, not by a bodily operation of circumcision, but by a spiritual operation, the baptism of your souls. For in baptism, you see how your old evil nature died with him and was buried with him. And when you came up out of death with him into a new life because you trusted the word of the mighty God who raised Christ from the dead. Verse 13, And you were dead in sins, and your sinful desires were not yet cut away. And he gave you a share of the very life of Christ, for he, gave, he forgave all your sins. And he blotted out the charges proved against you, the list of his commandments which you have not obeyed. He took that list of sins and destroyed it by nailing it to the cross, to Christ's cross. And in this way, God took away Satan's power to accuse you of sin. And God openly displayed to the whole world Christ's triumph at the cross where your sins were taken away. In him, we are made complete. If you're here today and you are tired, spiritually tired, which affects us physically as well, from trying to be complete by stuff you do, you don't have to do that anymore. Because in Christ, he makes us complete. He died so that our sins are forgiven. And then he gave us his life so that we're complete. So that we don't have to strive for that. We can rest in him and enjoy him and what he's done for us. Let's pray.